Welcome to Worth Reading Wednesdays here at the Columbus Lounge Public Library System. This is a podcast hosted by CLPLS librarians about books we're reading and recommending and anything else that has caught our attention. All right, all right, all right. Hello, I'm Tori. Good morning, although it's afternoon. I'm Lainey. <laughs> How are you today? I'm good. How about yourself? Good. Well, Lonnie is joining us. Nicole was feeling a little under the weather, so Lonnie's swapping in, doing Yay. tag team, and we're going to talk about Y'all like me, don't them. you? Yes. Okay. Absolutely. <laughs> um, we are going to talk about some more books, and I told Milani the theme is survival because... I was like, I'm just trying to survive out here. In these streets. In these streets. And she took it seriously. <laughs> I so did. So hers are really about, all about surviving yeah. stuff. So stay tuned for that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I am going to dig in um, with, so I brought a couple books because I've been reading things lately. Yeah, me too. Surprisingly. Go figure and my first book is called Rules by Cynthia Lord. Okay. It won the Newberry and the Schneider Family Book Award. Schneider Family, huh? Okay. Yeah, and so it follows 12-year-old Catherine. And this was published, so this is a little bit later. This was published in 2006, mm-hmm. but it gives me mad 80s vibes, and I don't know why. Like, could be, is it said in the 80s? No. It's just the 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 tone, the, the it's like angsty 80s type. Are, are, are the parents... Products of the eighties? Hmm. Questions. Um. I mean, I guess <laughs> if they're having kids in two thousand six, they are. Well, then that's probably why you got your eighties vibes. I don't know. I don't know. Anyways, <laughs> so Catherine is experiencing her summer after school, and her best friend that she normally hangs out with, who really understands her, understands her family situation, has gone to California for the summer, and she is on the East Coast. So. She bored, and she she bored in the house in the house board, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and no, they feel it. <laughs> also, Catherine is like a major caregiver figure for her brother, mm-hmm. and her brother is named David, and she has a bunch of rules for him. Hence the the title of the book. But David is on the autism spectrum, and so Catherine writes down her rules and. Uh, continues to reiterate them to him and they're they're not like you can't do this you can't do that and they kind of are at the same time but it's a way to help him navigate his world oh that makes sense so that she doesn't get embarrassed so he doesn't do something that causes issues for other people like you know Catherine's a preteen she's very aware of how other people she's very concerned with what other people Mm -hmm. think she gets really embarrassed by David very quickly very easily and she feels like she's the only one who cares for and about David. She feels like her parents are kind of checked out. And I I wouldn't I don't know if I agree with that view. I think her parents are just they've accepted David's like they've accepted David for who he is. Right. So they're really unbothered by a lot of his behaviors whereas Catherine wow. is still like David, stop doing that, you know. Well, she's 12. Yeah. So, um, one of the, you know, and it starts, each chapter starts with a rule. Chapter one is follow the rules. (laughs) Um, chapter two is don't run down the clinic hallway, um, because they go to a behavioral clinic for David to 
go to some therapy every week usually. And it ain't just David is going to. (laughs) (laughs) And so, like, another one is called, if it's too loud, cover your ears or ask the other person to be quiet. Um, Can I use that rule, too? Sometimes you've got to work with what you got as a rule. These rules sound like not just for David. This is stuff for adults, too. If you don't have the words you need, borrow someone else's. All the time. Um, Also called plagiarism. Yeah. (laughs) Depends on the context. (laughs) Sometimes things work out, but don't count on it. Okay. Well, okay, so David gets very frustrated when, if somebody says they're going to be somewhere at an exact time, you need to follow those routines for him. Man, look, I feel you, David. He has a meltdown if you don't. I I feel David. So that's one of her rules to kind of prepare him that, like, just because dad says he's going to be home at this time doesn't mean that he will. Because Catherine and David's dad is very, very overworked, very not present. Like, he's a pharmacist, and he's always gone. Always, yeah. And when he's home, he's worried about his tomato plants. Um, okay, David. Yeah, so Catherine feels very ignored um, by her parents. And her mom works at home as a tax preparation expert. So she doesn't really have time either. Yeah, and so it's like, Catherine, go take your brother in the other room kind of situation a lot. Well, so Catherine meets her next, her new next-door neighbor because the elderly woman next door to Catherine has moved away. And they got new neighbors with a girl who's the same age as Catherine. So she's really excited about meeting this new girl over the summer. We're going to be besties and we are going to have the summer to die for, right? Right. Well, eh, you know. Oh, girl, ain't you not really on there, huh? Yeah, well, so (laughs) Catherine meets Christy and Christy is very, Christy's already into boys. Christy's already, like, really about that social sphere whereas Catherine's like I just want to hang out and ignore my responsibilities I don't want and Christy ends up getting involved with I think his name is Ryan and Ryan bullies David so Catherine doesn't like Ryan and then Christy's like oh I think me and Ryan are gonna go to this dance and Catherine's like (laughs) yeah (laughs) so so um and while they go to so the clinic it's a big setting in this book because they go once a week at least and uh Catherine meets Jason and he is does not have the use of his body but he speaks using a word book um he he's non-speaking but he is aware of his surroundings and everything and so she meets Jason because she starts drawing him like Catherine's really into art she loves to draw and she starts drawing Jason at the clinic and he starts banging on his book to say stop so is he on the autism spectrum as well no okay no he is working I think he's working at the clinic for like motor skills and stuff um but it doesn't really go into that kind of story and what little interactions you see with Jason and the people in the clinic, it doesn't seem like they understand him because mm-hmm. they scream at him. And it's not that he can't he hear. Can. He, he's just not verbal. He's just not verbal. So, like, the therapist comes out and she's always like, hey, and, like, screaming at him. And he's just like, oh, my God. And, like, he'll tap on the word. Once Catherine and Jason really get to know each other, he'll tap on a word and, like, tell Catherine that sh- he thinks that the therapist is dumb. And, yeah. Because like, uh, Jason is just, like, every other yeah. person. He just can't communicate the same way. Yeah. And so Catherine ends up making a bunch of new words for Jason in his word book. And they get a second binder to help him because... I guess this is what gives me 80 vibes because they don't have, like, the speaking tablets yet. They're yeah. working out of a binder. And it turns out that um, 
Jason. My, you know. Like Catherine. Yes. Oh. And so Catherine's kind of got to navigate that of like, do I want to, I'm only 12 and I don't even know if I'm into boys like that yet. And this boy likes me, but I'm also like really worried about what people think of me and how they Girl, view they me. Did, boy. And so there's okay, Catherine. There's a little bit of conflict there. I'm not going to give anything away, but uh, I just really enjoyed the sibling relationship with Catherine and David. They speak to each other through frog and toad quotes. I don't know if you've ever read Frog the, and Toad the book. by Arnold Lobel. Yeah. Oh my gosh, it's so endearing. And when <laughs> so like later in the book, David has a really big problem with something because his he has VCR tapes, and Catherine fixes them when he messes them up, and she can't fix this one tape, and he has a meltdown about it, and they just speak in frog and toad quotes to each other, and she's like, I'm sorry, frog, and he goes, it's okay, toad, and it's just like, (laughs) so it's really endearing, and it was a really good read. I really enjoyed it, and really liked the relationships and the coming-of-age type of story. I'm really going to have to get into YA and juvenile books. I I guess, you know, once you hit, hit a certain age, you feel like those books are not for you anymore. No, they for everybody. I see. Yeah, I, I love I like them. that. So that was Rules, again, by Cynthia Lord. I'm going to skip down to Heartbeat by Sharon Creech. This is a book in verse, so it's all in, like, poetry. It's quite a short read, and it's actually going through Annie's life, and she's writing about her experience, and she finds out that her mom is getting really sick, and she's like, oh, my God, my mom's going to die. Turns out her mom's just pregnant. Okay, like that's a big jump. <laughs> um, and Annie is like starting to look at where she's at in her life. She's starting to view her place in her family and really become aware of her own place and how she operates in the world. And Annie loves to run. Like that's her favorite thing. And she uses a lot of onomatopoeia, sound words to talk about how she feels like she'll say thump thump and like thump thump and that's how my heartbeat goes and so uh annie runs with her best friend max annie and max run barefoot all the time regardless of the weather oh no yeah. outside uh-huh oh man yeah you gotta have some toughies they they are hard scrabble little okay scrappy little kids running well, i need some shoes outside yeah and <laughs> annie started to notice that max is getting a little angsty and max just turned 13 and he's still 12 oh. and annie's like Ugh, boys. What is going on with him? Yikes. Dodge the moods here. But you come to find out that Max's father just left their family, and uh, he also lost his grandfather. So Max has a very poor view of himself, and he feels like the only way he's going to make it in life, as a 13-year-old, he's already thinking this, (laughs) is that he needs to get on the track team, and that's going to be his way out of this stupid small town. Like, that's going to be his way out. And he wants Annie to join him, and he wants Annie to join the girls' track team. But Annie's like, I don't like to run for competition. Why does everything have to be a win or a lose? Yeah, I'm like Annie. I like to run to run, and that's how I like to process my emotions. Like, don't make me do this. And it causes kind of a bit of a rift between them. And Max keeps having the girls' track coach come to her and be like, are you going to join? Are you going to join? Come to a practice. Come to a practice. And at first she holds her ground. She's like, no, I'm not interested. Mm. And then the lady won't leave her alone. So she's like, okay, yeah, I'll show up. And she's like, I'm not showing up. <laughs> and so she gets really frustrated. She ends up slugging Max and, like, she punches him. 
And she's, like, very frustrated with him. And, but their friendship, it kind of, like, as much as she's frustrated with him, she spends money to buy him some new running shoes because he needs them for the track meets. Oh, how nice is that? And she mows the neighbor's lawn all the time and does, like, outside work for her neighbor, who's an older woman, and she gets money for that. And she was going to spend it on new art supplies, but then Max was like, he lashed out at her because she was like, have you gotten your new shoes yet? And he's like, I can't afford them, and got really upset because he's embarrassed and ran away. And so she anonymously donates the shoes to him. And then later in the book, she gets an anonymous donation of artwork or art supplies, so, like, they have they get along okay um and Annie's also struggling with the fact that her grandfather is starting to lose his memory a lot like he's suffering from some kind of dementia Alzheimer's it's not spoken of in the book it just says he has a brain like scrambled eggs and like sometimes Mm -hmm. he remembers things and sometimes he doesn't life and there's a scene where his grandfather calls her into a he's like Annie come here and he like yells at and she's like what's wrong and he goes I can't remember how I made fried chicken how did I make fried chicken and Annie's like I don't know (laughs) and so she has to go get her mom and her mom's like you made that recipe every week for 40 years and you don't remember it and he goes no you know sometimes you forget these things man no he he I know I know but you know and so there's a line where she's like I don't like to see my grandfather like this and Another scene where he come, he yells at her to come in his room. And he goes, he's looking at me. She's like, who? And he goes, that boy in that picture. And it's him as a younger boy. And um, it, it, it creates some levity in those serious moments because Annie takes the picture down. And, he, and she goes into her room and she says really loudly, why were you staring at my grandfather? <laughs> and he starts chuckling. And so she kind of makes it a little bit better. And um, eventually... Her sibling comes along. She's smart. Yeah, her sibling comes along, and she, like, her mom goes to this, it's a birthing clinic. It's not the hospital. It's, like, this house that has these rooms, and you can check out a room. One's colonial style. One's this style. And so she's like, my dad's really worried, but I think it's just because he's he wants everything to be okay. And she gets to witness the birth of her sibling, and that really changes her outlook. And then... Throughout this whole story and all these relationships she's navigating, she's also working on a art project that her art teacher gives her is to draw an apple for 100 days. And she draws the apple in a lot of ways and she talks about how she's not satisfied with her lines in this one and her lines in that one. She's trying to find her apple one day at home and she can't find it. And she walks in her grandpa's room. He ate the apple. The apple's on his nightstand. He's taking a nap, and it's got a big old hunk missing. (laughs) (laughs) And she's like, what? That was a good apple, man, if he thought it was real. At first. Well, at first, he, um, well, it's a real apple she takes home with her. Yeah. And at first, she's kind of frustrated, but she's like, no, I'm going to draw the apple. draw the apple like it is. Yeah. Yeah. And so she draws it all the way from whole all the way down to a seed. And it's like this whole metaphor of, her grandfather and her baby brother. Her grandfather's coming to the end of his life. And yeah, her baby like, brother is starting at the yeah. beginning. And her baby brother's named after her grandfather. And it's just like... Mm, Chef's the, kiss, huh? Yeah, it's <laughs> all the feelings. So that was Heartbeat by Sharon Creech. It's very quick, but there's so much there. Like, it is less than 100 pages, probably. Clearly, it's right there. The last one I'm going to gam about is The Coldest Girl in Cold Town by Holly Black. So I love me some Holly Black. She's one of my favorite authors. 
and she wrote my favorite series ever so I was like hesitant to read something by her because it was like what if I don't like it as much as I like the other I one I felt definitely understand it yeah I was scared um I was like, I, you don't want to mess up the image of what you already have because there are some authors who do that sorry authors I yeah. won't call any names but definitely mess some stuff up well luckily it's not the case <laughs> with this one so this follows Tana and it's a vampire book so in Tana's yeah. world what had happened was <laughs> one of these vampires went cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs and like ate all these people and then turned them into vampires and it got oh. to a point where it was like a vampire pandemic and now yeah now there are cold towns everywhere so like there's a big one in San Francisco there's a big one in her hometown because that's where it started there's a big one, I think, in Texas, because, you know, it's Texas. And then um, Europe's even worse. And they okay. stream live feeds through these cold towns so you can see what's happening in them. Because once you go into a cold town, you can't come out unless you get a mark or a marker for one human to come out. Vampires don't get to come out once they go in. And there's, like, this whole industry behind it. Like, there are bounty hunters out who have made a career of hunting down vampires and taking them to cold towns and they get paid for it and like people can buy markers for themselves like you can buy markers from somebody on the outside to bring in a vampire and and come back out and you can come back out swap for the vampire so you have to hire a bounty hunter to go find a vampire and then pay them to get the vampire there unharmed so you can swap out and leave out the Mm -hmm. cold town so that's, that's kind of like how their society runs and this book first chapter not a spoiler first chapter tana wakes up and she's in a bathtub and she's like what am i doing here and i'm like yeah girl what you doing here <laughs> that's a great question what you mean you don't know and so turns out she like passed out at a party i'm like girl what and she starts walking around and every single person in this party is dead uh-huh. I was like, oh, snap, Crackle Pop, what happened? And so she's walking around, and she's, like, losing it a little. She's, like, giggling hysterically because she doesn't know how to process <laughs> what she's seeing. And uh, she goes into the coat room where everybody dropped their all their coats to find her ex-boyfriend tied up on a bed and a vampire in the corner who's also tied up. Okay. Well, at least he's tied up. Yeah, but that means there are other vampires in this house somewhere. Somewhere. And it's daylight. So, these vampires, daylight's bad. Rose water is bad. Rose thorns are bad. Okay. So, wow. she can... We gonna keep rose water and thorns with us all the time. Yeah, she walks around in the daylight, but it's, like, getting noontime. Sun's going down. Like, she woke up at noon and, like, she needs to figure out how to get out of there. And sun's starting to go down by the time she, like, gets her faculty about herself to make a decision. And her ex their relationship's a little complicated because she really liked him but at the same time she just like it was kind of like you know how you have these experiences and it feels like the you're watching it happen outside of your body mm-hmm. that's kind of the way she explains their relationship a little bit like he would kind of try to provoke her and she'd play back with him so like he'd go flirt with somebody and then she'd flirt with somebody and then he'd bring a girl uh, to he'd kiss a girl in front of her at a party and then she'd kiss the same girl at the party. Oh, okay. And it was like this little tea for tat. Uh-huh. 
And then he just breaks up with That's her. That's toxic. Uh-huh. <laughs> he broke up with her because, I guess, it got, I don't know. It was too much. Well, later in the later in the book, this is a spoiler, so. But later in the book, he's just like, you scared me because I've never had anybody match it so hard. Like, I, uh-huh. I've always liked to play the games, but nobody played them as well as you. So, uh-huh. you scared me and I had to, I had I to bounce. Well. But anyway, so Tana finds her ex in tied up on the bed, and he's already cold. And when you're cold, that means you've been bitten, and you're turning into a vampire slowly. Mm-hmm. And you can, there's a chance that you can either, you only turn into the vampire once you have human blood. So he's cold, but he hasn't had human blood yet, so he can revert back to a human. Right. They have 88 days. It's like this quarantine period. You have to stay cold and isolated for 88 days because if you don't you're just going to try to attack a human and then when you attack them and drink their blood you're officially a vampire and vampires are like they shouldn't they're not supposed to be outside of the cold towns so yeah (laughs) um so her ex-boyfriend's gone cold and she got this vampire and she's like okay i'm just gonna save you both we gotta go and so She essentially drives her car up to the side of the window out of this house and, like, drops her boyfriend and the vampire outside the window. Why is she saving the vampire? Right. Um, (laughs) (laughs) What? Yeah, so... I see the boyfriend or ex-boyfriend. The vampires who end up catching her are the same who tied her ex up and this vampire up. So I think that's why she decides, because she's like, what's going on here? This is weird. And so one of the vampires who tries to catch her grabs her leg out the window as she's trying to get out and, like, scrapes her and, like, with her teeth. So she's, like, doesn't know if she's cold yet or not. And she has the vampire who she saved look at her scrape. And he's, like, I don't know. There's a tinge of blue, but I'm not sure. And if your skin's tinged blue, usually that means you, yeah. you're, it's starting to in, infect you. And so she's, like, trying to figure it out. But she's got to take her ex to the cold town now because he wants to be a vampire. Like, people deliberately get bitten because they want it. They, like, want immortality or whatever. And so, she's trying to get her ex to the cold town. She's, like, deciding if she's going to get go. Um, she's going to go in and get a marker anyways. And she can use it on herself because she's bringing her ex, who is a cold person. And that vampire, too. And that vampire. So, they get to the cold town. They go through all these gates and military process and everything. And... She finds out that the vampire that she has brought is really, really powerful. And, like, he, how he even got tied up in the first place is beyond. Like, he should not have been tied up. Like, he could have easily have fought them, could have easily bitten them and ran away. Like, why is he still with her? So, that's, that's information you have to read the book to find out about. But, Basically, it follows Tana as she gets into the cold town and she navigates this kind of world of like, do I want to get out? Do I not? Do I want to get out? Do I not? And it follows the same kind of Holly Black relationship angsty stuff uh, that I love so much because Tana's very much, I feel like Holly Black writes a lot of female characters who are very unapologetically about their own agendas. They're not worried about at the end of the day, Tana's taking her ex there so she can get a marker. She's taking that other vampire there so she can get a marker. It's not because she cares. She wants to preserve herself. Which makes sense. That's what life Yeah. Right. And I, I that like life. that. Like, I like the female taking care of themselves trope. And, like, mm-hmm. I ain't got a time to worry about you. And that was very much the vibe. It was, like, <laughs> I need to survive. 
And it it is the vibe for the most part until um, Tana finds out that her sister is, her little sister, her like 13-year-old sister, has decided to follow her to the cold town. Oh, no. Yeah. So, that is all I'm going to say about that. Other than that, uh, Tana's mother also died because she turned cold and bit Tana. And Tana never turned cold when her mother bit her. So, she has a little weird history of, like, am I going to turn cold? Because I was bitten before. That, that, that might be why. And nothing happened to me. So, she's like. That might be why the other vampire didn't attack her. Um. Don't tell it. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> that's The Coldest Girl in Cold Town by Holly Black. It was a very, I enjoyed it. You know, it, it was cool. I liked it a lot. So, those are my books. Yay. I'm done. Okay. Well, you know me. I like to read nonfiction. I'm a nonfiction reader. But I'm going to start off with a based on a true story book. Okay. It's called He Played Me and He Played Me Part 2. Okay. I haven't read, I haven't completed Part 2. So okay. I'm just going to talk about Part 1. How I ran across this book, I was watching Tubi. T-U-B-I, Tubi, the app that's on Fire TV mm-hmm. that shows all of the uh, free movies and free TV shows on the app. Mm-hmm. It came on, I was watching another movie, and this movie came on right after it. And it was called He Played Me. And I was like, oh. So I got engrossed into the movie. And at the end of the movie, I found out it was a book. So, of course, I had to go get the book and read the book. This book is by Miss L.B. L. Period. B. Period. And it's based on a true story. It follows the life of Yasmin, who is a entrepreneur, but she also works at a bank. Mm-hmm. She has her own business. She has a hookah lounge. Mm-hmm. And she works as a bank as a loan processor. Mm-hmm. Yasmin is married to a man who is an alcoholic. He is lackluster in their life love life just life period Mm -hmm. and so she talks to him about uh going to rehab so he can become a better husband for her and her children who are not his but her and her children but like most people do they say that they're going to do something and they don't Mm -hmm. so he she leaves for a while and he comes back he's like i'm i'm going to go and he he does go for a bit but he relapses, and then ultimately that was her decision to separate from him. Well, while she separates, she meets this girl named Nadia. And not she and Nadia ends up having a, uh intimate relationship. Mm-hmm. But Nadia has a husband as well, and Nadia's husband is in prison. He's going to get out. Mm-hmm. So the night before Nadia's husband gets out there intimate one last time and Nadia decides that she's going to go be with her husband because before he went to prison he was abusive and she's afraid of him so Nadia goes back to her husband but she gives Yasmin an ultimatum she was like you know we can both run away together and I can just leave my husband and you've already left yours so let's just go be together and Yasmin opts out of that. She's like, mm-hmm. no, I don't want to do that. Like, that's not the life I want for me and my boys. So they don't run away together. In fact, they stop talking to each other. Mm-hmm. Which is unfortunate because they had a really good friendship. And 
it was an outlet for both of them and I kind of wish that was one of my wishes in in the book is that they stay friends although you know I think once you cross the line of intimacy of course you know you can't sometimes you cannot go back yeah so um Yasmin focuses on herself for a little while and she runs into this guy and his name is Jai J-A-I and Jai uh, if you look at the cover of the book, these books are at our library as well. If you look at the cover of the book, it shows Yasmin, Jai, and Nadia mm-hmm. on the front cover. And she runs to Jai, and Jai is all the things that her ex-husband was not. Mm-hmm. He's romantic. He listens to her. He spends time with her. He does all the things that people initially do, you know. Initially, keyword. When they're trying to win your heart. Mm-hmm. So she falls heads over heels for him, and they get married. But before she marries him, her dad warns her. He's like, you know, you kind of moving too fast. Take your time. This might not be what you want to do. But most of the time, we're hard-headed. And we want to do what we want to do. Yeah. So Yasmin marries him, and life is greater, so she thinks. She realizes that Jai <laughs> is a womanizer. And he has not only her, but he has multiple women that he is still seeing and had been seeing the whole time that they were courting mm-hmm. one another. So she decides that she's going to leave him. But before she does, she goes to this house party. And at the at the party, she runs into Nadia, who she hadn't seen since they broke up. And Nadia is looking at her like, you're with him. And the him, who she is now married to, Was is Nadia's husband from prison. <laughs> Oh, no. It's so messy. It is very messy. So now she's like, you are the reason why he left me. So but jo- is she? It, she thinks so. He so, was a womanizer, though. So Nadia is mad. Nadia is mad at Yasmin because Yasmin is the reason why her husband left her. But this is the same husband who was abusing her. Even while he make was in prison. Make it make sense. Make it make sense, Nadia. Make it make sense. <laughs> so Yasmin decides she's going to leave Jai. And and she does. At least she thinks she does. But he gets revenge. Because oh. how dare you leave me? So he pays this woman who works at the bank that she works at to forge some papers to make it look like she was making false loans (gasps) and stealing money. Oh, no, Ricky Bobby. That's her livelihood. And she lost that livelihood. I'd be losing him. She lost her job. And so, and and she still didn't go back to him. And I think that was the, I think that is what he thought was going to happen. That once he made her lose her livelihood, it was going to go big. But she still had her entrepreneurial business to fall back on. So she was like, although this is, this is unfortunate. It sucks. I'm still not coming back to you. And when he saw that, he decided he was going to hire some hitmen. What? So he hired uh, two guys to quote-unquote rob her and then shoot her. But what happened when she got home that particular day they were supposed to rob her, the gunman turned to her and he was like, B, you should have kept your mouth shut. And he he shoots her without robbing her or anything. So it further lets her know that this wasn't just a random incident, that it was Jai who tried to have her killed. But obviously she's okay because there's a part two. There is a part two. Okay. So she survived. She survived the gunshot wound, but she has this case of 
money laundering from the bank. So she has to go through rehab for getting shot. So she survived the shot. But in part two, <laughs> you follow her as she goes through rehab of re- rehabilitation from getting shot. The trial that she has to go through for money laundering. And Nadia shows back up in the picture as well. And John still won't leave her alone. Yo, I'd never <laughs> be with a guy ever again if that happened to me. So, these two books are both both based on a true story. What? Based- I forgot you said that. <laughs> That's all. Based on a true That's story. That's even worse. <laughs> <laughs> these things actually happen. Good. Uh, yes. and, and her name is Lisa Brown, but she goes by LB, Miss LB. And so this is, these books are based on Lisa Brown's life. Lisa, I'm stressed out. So, uh, I'm going to read the, <laughs> I'm going to read the back synopsis of part two. It says, after being shot, losing her job and fighting the case, the innocent and naive Yasmin was gone, but she learned a tough but valuable lesson about love and loyalty. But how far will Yasmin be willing to go for revenge? Before realizing a person with nothing to lose will help you lose everything. Ooh. So, yeah. And at the very end, it says, Karma is cooking up dinner and ready to serve it on a hot platter. (laughs) Ooh, okay. Spicy. Spicy. So, that is He Played Me and He Played Me Part 2 by Miss LB. I feel like that's the kind of book you read and you're like, and then this happened? Yes, it was. I'm telling you, after I watched the movie, I was like, I have got to go read the book. That's crazy. Because I was on the edge of my seat, and they just left me at a cliffhanger, so I had to go pick up part two to see what happened. gracious. So, and that was my my first story of survival since Miss Tori told me we were were doing survival books. I'm going to, the second book I'm going to talk about is A Child Called It. It is always my go-to for anything dealing with survival. It's definitely a tough read. If you have not read this or if you're thinking about should you read it, you should. Everybody should. You have content warnings here <laughs> for a sensitive, sensitive, very sensitive topic. Child abuse, psychological, tr- emotional, physical, any, anything. Trauma. Trauma. All kinds of <laughs> trauma. Actually, this book is by Dave Pelser. And he has an entire series. It, the book, this book is the beginning of his series. And it ends with, now that I'm trying to tell you, I lost my thought. We'll put um, it in the show notes. We'll put, okay. So there, he has, I think it's four other books that goes along with this one. And the last book is about him as an adult. Mm-hmm. So each book follows his life from childhood through young adult, teen, young adult, and then adult. Mm-hmm. Actually, this book is classified as self-help, psychology, and inspiration. Well, it sure helped me never, ever finish that series. <laughs> <laughs> you should, though, because it's very inspirational. Once you get past... Now, the last book is Lost Boy, after a child Probably called it. worse. It doesn't get... It gets... It gets... About the same. <laughs> uh, he gets out of the tough situation, but he goes into another tougher situation. No, Dave. So what? yeah, when I tell you this man went through some things, he went so through some things. All right, well tell me what he went through, even though. I know. <laughs> so, and the Lost Boy is the second book, and it it does talk about him going to uh, another home away from this original home. Mm-hmm. 
is a home for boys. Oh no, that was a never good. Yeah. Oh. So the series chronicalizes Dave Pelser's life. And in the beginning, the very first book, A Child Called It, in quotation marks, is because his mother never addressed him by his name. She always called him It. And what I could not understand about this book is the fact that she just did not love him. And she had two other sons. He was her third, and she just she just like, didn't love him. And when I tell you, I read that at like way too young. I was the third child, and I was traumatized. traumatized. <laughs> I, let me tell you, I went home to my mama, and I was like, "Thank you, thank you, mama, okay, for for just it, it feeding was, me." It was, and you know, I I don't understand. I I think we I think he did eventually address it in book two of why his mother did not like him, mm-hmm. but. Reading the first book, you, there is no explanation as to why she doesn't like him. No. So we'll read the back of the book right quick. A Child Called It is the unforgettable account of one of the most severe child abuse cases in California history. It is the story of Dave Pelser, who was brutally beaten and starved by his emotionally unstable alcoholic mother, a mother who played torturous, unpredictable games, games that left him nearly dead. And that game is she would have him clean the bathroom and she would have him mix two chemicals together, ammonia and bleach. And if you have ever mixed those two together, and I have in a very well-ventilated room, have almost taken myself out of here, the two chemicals react in such a violently way that it takes your breath away. And his mother would make him put those two chemicals together and then close him inside of the bathroom and expect him to clean the bathroom. There is no way. There is no way possible that anybody could be enclosed in in that type of environment and live. I feel like, doesn't he live in the, like... In the basement. Yeah. He does. Um, he learns how to play with his mother's games in order to survive, but she no longer considers him a son, but a slave. And no longer a boy, but an it. Dave's bed was an old army cot in the basement, and his clothes were torn and raunchy. When his mother allowed him the luxury of food, it was nothing more than spoiled scraps that even the dogs refused to eat. The outside world knew nothing of his living nightmare. He had nothing nothing, and no one to turn to, but his dreams kept him alive. Dreams of someone taking care of him, loving him, and calling him son. Did he even go to school? He did. He oh. went to school, and, and in fact, the I feel like the school system failed him because they would notice that he would come to school, um, and he wouldn't be clothed, or he would have clothes on, but his clothes were not the best, and he would be malnourished, and he would have bruises and things on him. And of course, kids always, oh, I failed, or I I hit my head on this, and so Dave always explained away his bruises and bumps, but nurses and school teachers should have. Well, and I wonder what role his siblings played in that. Did they cover up for his mother too, or how old? I can't remember how old they were compared to him. Because if they were in the school with him, that could have influenced the decision of the. See, here's an example of Jesse, we were talking about how, how the school system played him. Said, I quickly changed my story. I was playing baseball and got hit by the bat. It was an accident. Accident? I'm always supposed to say that, but the nurse knows better. She scolds me, so I'll tell 
the truth. I always break down in the end and confess, even though I feel I should protect my mother. So he's always confessing and nobody does anything. Nobody does anything. That's like crazy. The nurse eventually does call CPS or whatever it's called back then. And then they go to the house, but they always, the, his mother always explains away the issues. Mm-hmm. So eventually, eventually he does get away. But it's like it, he was literally on his deathbed to the, before somebody was like, let's go save this child. That's crazy. So um, I'm trying to see if there is a... He had horrible, horrible, horrible experiences where even his, like you said, although his siblings, I think they all went to the same school, but his siblings also treated him like an it. Mm. They, and I I wonder, I often wonder if they treated him that way because if they felt like if they did not, then they would trade places with him. Yeah. Or that their mother would treat them the same way. And they didn't want to be treated that way. So we have to treat Dave this way so we won't be treated that way. And I guess that's a survival of fittings. At the end, when he finally gets away, they call a police officer. They call the police department. And they call his mom to tell him. He said, I watched the black dial turn as I get up and walk towards him, which is the police officer. My whole body, while trying to hear... I, Straining my whole body while trying to hear the phone ringing on the other end. Mother answers. Her voice scares me. The police weighs me away and takes a deep breath before saying, Miss Pelzer, this is Officer Smith from Daly City Police Department. Your son David will not be coming home today. He will be in the custody of the San Mateo Juvenile Department. If you have any questions, you can call them. He hangs up the phone and smiles. Now that wasn't so hard, was it? He asked me. But the look on his face tells me, he is reassuring himself more than he is me. A few miles later, we're on Highway 280, heading towards the outskirts of Daly City. I look to my right and see signs that read the most beautiful highway in the world. The officer smiles with relief as we leave the city limits. Dave Pelser, you're free. What? I ask Clutching, my own only source of food. I don't understand. Aren't you taking me to some kind of jail? Again, he smiles and gently squeezes my shoulder. No, David, you have nothing to worry about. Your mother is never going to hurt you again. I lean back against the seat. A reflection from the sun hits my eyes. I turn away from the rays as a single tear runs down my cheek. I'm free? Question mark. Mm. And to feel that way of leaving your home, that's so scary. Scary. Because although he is free from under his mother's thumb, he's going to go into a whole other situation. When he leaves this situation, I'm still not ready. I can't read it. I can't it's, do it. That's good though. You should much. you should read it, but you would have to take your time with it. And that's why I can't read it's it. It's a lot. Cause it's a lot. It's a lot, man. It's a lot, man. So that was my second story of survival. Dave Pelser survived severe, severe child abuse yeah. and um, psychological and physical abuse. But he is an inspirational speaker. I'm not sure if he still does speaking engagements. I'm sure the world put that on halt if he was still doing it before then. But he has traveled all around the world doing speaking engagements, sharing his story of how he overcame all his obstacles to become the person that he is today. Mm. 
So, my last book is by a local author here in Columbus, Mississippi. Her name is Miss Kimberly Mullen, and her book is called No Obstacles Could Keep Me Down. I am victorious. Mrs. Mullen is a licensed professional counselor and supervisor. She has her own business here, her own counseling service, and the service is called The Sky's the Limit. She is the mother of two sons and one grandson. This book journals also side note all these books are short reads Mm -hmm. i think a child called it has the most pages and that is at 131 pages and for whatever reason the he played me books have no numbers in them (laughs) (laughs) yeah but they're really thin they're thin at the most maybe 80 pages per book and Miss Kimberly's book is 62 pages. Yeah. So all of these are quick reads. Nothing that's going to have you boggled. You could probably read all three of these in a, in a week. It depends on how fast you read. Back to this book. Miss Kimberly Mullen chronologizes her life from the early ages of when she was in elementary school and head start until her present day now. She describes her obstacles. And the reason why I picked this book is one is she's a local author and she's a woman and she's a counselor. Mm -hmm. But also she talks about things that we as adults don't always think are meaningful in our life but we kind of hold on to them later on and her very first memory of something that she had to overcome is was when she was in head start and she remembers going to the potty on herself mm. and she was embarrassed by it but that embarrassment carried over because she was embarrassed about what she thought her her classmates would say and that embarrassment carried over all through her grade years because she always was self-conscious about what other people were going to be thinking about her and I would have never thought that an incident in Head Start would affect you like that. Mm-hmm. But if you are, if that's how you started your school years of worrying about what people were going to think about you, then she continued that thought process up until her teen years. And then in her teen years, because she was from Chicago, she had this heavy... Her her grandparents were from Chicago, and she would visit them. And she had a heavy Mississippi accent. Mm -hmm. They teased her for that, and she got bullied. And then she carried that bullying along with her. Then when her grandparents got sick and they died, she carried that with her. So she ends up meeting her boy's father, and he introduces her to a lifestyle that she wasn't prepared for. So she became a mother in 19... And then became uh, another, she had another son at 21. Her mother ended up passing away. And in that time frame, from the time frame that she met the father of her sons and her mother died, she was already an alcoholic. Mm -hmm. But when her mother died, she turned back to, she called herself, you know, getting, going to rehab, getting the help. She cleaned herself up. She became a medical assistant. Mm -hmm. So she became a medical assistant and then a CNA. 
But while she was a medical assistant, you know, she became better. She stopped drinking. She started taking care of her kids and doing all the right things. But when her mother got sick, she relapsed. And then she introduced herself into harder drug substances. So not only was she an alcoholic, she started doing harder drugs. And so she, her life kind of spiraled out of control. And I like the fact that she talked about the hard things, but she also lets you know that, yes, I did do these things. Yes, I did have these problems, but look at where the Lord, because she talks about God a lot in this. Mm-hmm. So if if God is not your higher being that you, you choose to believe in, this book may not be for you, but her higher being that she believes in is God. And she talks about how God was the person who brought her through all of her obstacles. She quotes quite a few scriptures in the book. This one right here is James 1 and 5. If any man lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who generously gives to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. So basically, if you don't have the, if you don't have the answers, mm-hmm. if you don't know what's going on in your life, and you just really need someone to guide you, she recommends that you ask ask God and let him lead you in the right direction. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, whether you believe in God, Buddha, Allah, you know, whoever is your higher being, if you don't believe in a higher being at all, but you know that there's something greater than yourself, sometimes you have to talk to that person or that being or that thing that's greater than you to give you guidance mm-hmm. in, in what direction that you should be going in. And that is what Ms. Mullins talks about in this book. It's very inspirational. And like I said, I, what I really like about the book is the fact that she she not she didn't steer away from her hard times and just give you all the good stuff. Mm-hmm. She talked about the hard stuff, the things that she she was practically homeless at one time, where their house uh, flooded out because there was a leak, and so what ended up becoming what should have been a two week stay at a hotel ended up becoming a two three month stay in in a hotel because the problem was bigger than what she thought it was going to be. She ended up having to file bankruptcy at some point in her life because they just had they had more bills than they had money. Mm-hmm. So, but now she's at a place where she's stable enough to be able to tell her testimony in this book. So, this book is by Kimberly W. Mullen, and her book is called No Obstacles Could Keep Me Down. I Am Victorious. We have all these books available for a checkout. All right. Well, thank you so much for sharing. You got some wild stories over there. Always, always. I feel like you're always reading stuff where... Like and then this <laughs> like you you read the stories where you just like your jaws on the ground because you can't believe no, what is happening. Yeah, I like that type of stuff. Mm, I like me some good good heartwarming <laughs> reads <laughs> and some vampires. You know that could be why my anxiety always be up because I'm always reading the stuff that be like what what. <laughs> Go read you some juvenile fiction about dragons some, or something. Yeah, I'm gonna have to, man. Some flowers and butterflies or something. Something. <laughs> All right. Well, we are wrapping it up, and I appreciate you coming on. You're welcome. Anytime. Love to have you. I like themes, as you can see. Yeah. So, you know, I know where to go. I have to think of better themes next time. <laughs> I was just like, um. Yeah, give me a happy thing. I'm sure I got some of those. We're vertical. That's that's the theme for today. We are awake and productive. Alive and well, beings. man. Alive and well. Go us. So, 
I think that's the end of our show today, and we will talk <laughs> at you next week. See you, haters. Bye. Bye.